Welcome back to another episode of Bed Letter. I'm your host, Christian Ashelman, and this is the podcast where we chat a bit about our psycho-human brains, a little about our loony human behavior, and a lot about how it all fits together. If you know someone who you think might enjoy the show, please feel free to share, and if you're interested in signing up for the monthly newsletter or in joining the Bed Letter community Discord server, head to cashleman.com. Over on my website, I've got a blog that I write on, as well as information on editing, tutoring, and mentoring services that I offer. If you want to help to support the show in an additional way, I also have a Patreon page, and if something in the show sparks a question or a comment and you feel like sharing, head to my blog, the community Discord server, or to my Instagram page, at cashleman. That's at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. Those are all fantastic places to share your thoughts. If you're interested in obtaining a copy of Richard Nisbet's book, you can do so by clicking the link in the description or by heading over to Amazon and searching his name. He's got several other fantastic books to check out as well. I hope you enjoy the third part of our conversation today as we discuss the power of the unconscious mind and the law of large numbers. And so I I think that when psychologists, or really anyone for that matter, starts talking about the unconscious or subconscious mind, I think that sometimes it confuses people or like their eyes sort of glaze over sometimes. Depending on who you're talking to, of course, but it's, you know, it's just like this thing that we can't really nail down what it is or how exactly it works. But at one point in the book, you write that, uh, you write, note that you have to help your unconscious mind to help you. And it was just a simple sentence, but I really loved it. A lot of power in it. So what do you think is the best way the average person can better employ their unconscious mind into their, in their everyday life? Well, it, it's easy and it's, uh, I think, very powerful. And that is, if you have a task you have to do, let's say it's writing a term paper, um, our, our inclination is to say, oh, well, you know, the paper's due you know, October 15th. So, you know, toward the beginning of October, I'll start to think about it honk wrong (laughs) you think about it right now first day of class that's the time to start working on that paper and you'll find uh when you sit down to work on the paper instead of coming at it with uh, a blank mind there's already stuff in your head that is relevant and at the extreme i cite an example by a, a a poet named Amy Lowell, who says, and let me preface this by saying, uh, there's a, a book which I really recommend to people called The Creative Process by a man named Brewster Gieselin. Just remember that if you <laughs> look that up, it's uh, G-H-I, uh, Gieselin. Uh, apparently, virtually everyone who's ever written about the creative process, and we're talking here about you know, great mathematicians and poets and so on, describe it as unconscious. I mean, you know, suddenly the idea is there. Yeah. Um, and uh, Amy Lowell uh, has a very nice description where she says, uh, once I saw in a, um, an art store uh, a sculpture of bronze horses, and I thought, you know, that might make a good poem, uh, something on that theme. A few months later, she sits down and takes 
by dictation, a poem, <laughs> dictation from her unconscious of a poem. It's just there. I mean, yeah. the, the whole damn thing is there. And she had no awareness of having thought about it consciously before. Or the a great mathematician Poincaré says, you know, at the moment I put my foot on the steps of the bus, it occurred to me that the uh, transformation functions that I needed are exactly the ones I'd used for some other problem. He said he was thinking about the lovely day and, you know, what he was going to do. It was not, it just popped into his head. Uh, so we don't, I mean, a, a corollary of the fact that a lot of thinking goes on unconsciously uh, is that uh, the unconscious mind has to be fed something. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily, you have to think, oh, a paper, a paper about, I don't know, psychology, social, something. Uh, and uh, if it's if it's fed something, I don't know, it may do a tremendous amount of work. A question that I would love to look at is uh, what kinds of work does the unconscious mind do better than the conscious mind? Well, we know the conscious mind does some stuff better than the unconscious mind. I mean, if you say, no, I should think about what's the product of 137 times 63, the answer is not going to pop into your head. <laughs> you got to sit and think, I got to do the, the laborious conscious work of thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, it, like, if you're people like, me and presumably you, there are idiosavant, and you've asked that question, what's 137 times 63? And you said 4,432. Four <laughs> presumably that, that's going on unconsciously. Who knows how it's going on? But, um, the, uh, but there are some kinds of, I mean, and this has to do, by the way, this links back to the question of mentoring. Mm -hmm. You're picking up stuff you're not even aware of what you're just, you're just, you know, you're learning the rules of what you do in this particular situation without necessarily understanding it consciously. Um, I have the slight funny story in there about my advisor who would never say this idea of yours, uh, Dick, is a good idea and here's why and here's what it could lead to. Uh, he, he, the feedback was always by grunts. Um, <laughs> That's right. So if, if he would, if I had a, an idea that he thought was bad, he'd say, eh. So, oh, okay. Getting <laughs> closer, idea. maybe. Right. If he thought, you know, you know, maybe not too bad, he'd say, oh. And if it was a good idea, huh? Ah. <laughs> So I thought, you know, you know, that's, you know, he's a wonderful advisor, but I can do better than that. I'll tell my students why their idea is good or not so good. And uh, that resulted in, in arguments about why, is that a good idea or is that not a good idea? And then we're off on to abstract discussions of philosophy of science, which is not getting the job done. So uh, I began to simply use the grunt method. Uh, <laughs> and they induce it. You induce the well, you, they, they're learning something. I mean, but it's not conscious. That, yeah, that, it, it doesn't help to do it consciously. It's got to be unconscious. But there's, there's a whole tremendous field out there for somebody to find what what kind of work is better done by the unconscious.
Yeah. No, I, I think it's I think it's fascinating the what the unconscious mind is capable of and what I th- I think your question would be incredibly interesting to to have almost like a list of like a cheat sheet of like here's the things I'm gonna feed to to the you know to the, my unconscious mind and here's what I'm gonna work on in my conscious mind but I do think I think that that's pro- it's probably one of the most powerful things to take from the book or just just to know I feel like is that. Because um, I was never that kid in college that was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, they'd say, start working on your term paper now. And I was always like, yeah, right, you know. And I, I didn't I didn't understand that if I, you know, start thinking about these topics, like, it will seriously, seriously benefit me. I mean, even in, uh, you know, trying to, coming up with different questions I wanted to ask you for, for this, um, if I had just, you know, hurry and read the book, you know, for three days before I talked to you, I don't think that that I would have been able to um, been thinking about what I was kind of wanting to ask. But since I started earlier in reading it, I felt like by the time I sat down to kind of to iron out a couple of questions, I already had a couple just incidentally sitting at the front of my mind that I hadn't even really thought, you know, put a ton of thought into at that point. So I think it's I think it's huge, huge. It's almost like a little thing that you like a life hack or something. <laughs> right. No, that, that's a perfect example of, of, of a way to make use of the unconscious. I, <clears throat> I used to do uh, seminars where I would hand out thought questions mm-hmm. in advance. Not a lot of classes do that, but I used to say, oh, well, let, let, me, let me tell you about these thought questions. It, it's different from other classes you may have taken in that I expect you to have thought about these questions. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, if if I would wait until I had to produce them, uh, the questions said, okay, now let's, let's do the thought questions. If I haven't really pondered it at all, the questions are not going to be that good. I mean, they're not going to be that useful and prompting interesting discussion. If I say, okay, I've got to think about these questions, sit down and think about, remind myself of what the readings are about. And think of, and I'm not going to come up with these questions. And then two or three days later, the, the questions just start popping into my head about what I'll what I'll do, and they'll be much better than if I just sit down and on the spot uh, come up with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's uh, the the unconscious brain mind is is a tool that should be used more. Absolutely, I think a lot of people look at like the work. I mean, obviously, college and and education and stuff takes a lot of time and energy and stuff like that, but Sometimes I think certain things don't take quite as much as we think they do it, it, as long as you just get started and, and start that the gears turning and then come back later. You'll probably come – I mean you will come away with something something substantial. Exactly. One of the biggest ways that you talk about in, in the book to inform our decisions and, and kind of the rationale behind those decisions, and more importantly the rationale behind those decisions, is through the use of statistics. Uh, you do, you detail in the book how those individuals that have been trained in the use of statistics and the scientific methodology typically have an increased ability at inductive reasoning. Uh, why is this usually the case? And do you think that this is fundamental when considering the curriculum for like lower, middle, and upper education for everyone? Right. Well, you know, this is, this is, I think, the most important thing I've ever worked on is this fact that you can teach people how to reason a a huge impact i mean when i was first studying reasoning errors we haven't talked much about reasoning errors except that the the kinds of 
that we don't know <clears throat> the reasoning that's going on, but there's lots of reasoning errors that people make, mistakes they make. Now, let's take a simple mistake like this. If you ask a first-year freshman, first week in college, you say, you know, um, there at the beginning of the baseball season, there are typically like several players who have batting averages of like 300 or higher, but uh, but nobody finishes the season with these super high uh, averages. Why do you suppose that is? Well, they'll start down the causal path. I say, well, I, you know, the pitchers make the necessary adjustments, or you know, maybe uh, guys get you know cocky and they slack off. At the end of college, <laughs> especially if they've had a statistics course, you ask them that question and say, well, you know. Early in the season, they haven't, haven't been, they haven't had that many at-bats, and you're going to get these extreme scores. I mean, think of it. I mean, uh, the first at-bat, after, after you've done that, your, your average is either zero or one. <laughs> yeah. <you're, laughs> Very extreme. 100% so, hitter or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, the, and the, the, the principle there that people have learned is the law of large numbers, that... Uh, the larger the, your sample, the more it is, unless there's some kind of bias, the more it is that it's going to resemble the true value uh, for that uh, for that event, whether it's baseball scores or how charming you are at, uh, at parties or whatever. The larger the sample, the, the closer you get to what statisticians call true score. <clears throat> Observations consist of uh, true score plus error and more more evidence reduces the error and gets you closer to the true score. Now we all understand that in a huge number of domains. I mean, it's uh, we don't understand it as an abstract principle that can be applied to virtually any kind of event. And in college, especially for students who've had a statistics course, you learn to understand at a much broader and more abstract level the concept of uh, law of large numbers. Um, now, this was a surprise to me because I used to say, you know, I study reasoning errors and, you know, the problem is not only are we stupid, but you can't make us smarter. Uh, <laughs> and so I said, well, maybe I'll test it. I'll prove that. I mean, yeah. some people say, no, maybe you can. No, 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 I'm going to show you you can. So I started out doing laboratory studies where I would teach the law of large numbers in 15 minutes in the abstract using you know, a bowl of jelly beans, some white, some red, and showing the, the larger your sample of jelly beans, the closer you're going to get to the actual percentage of jelly beans that are red <laughs> in that bowl. So that very abstract like that. And other people, I gave very concrete problems like this, the baseball problem. Whichever way you do it, you increase people's understanding of the law of large numbers and so that they can solve a huge range of problems better by virtue of 15 minutes of, in, of instruction. Now, what's the main thing that's important about all this is that in teachers, and mostly statistics is taught at the college level, although increasingly at high school level, but uh, if you tell them, they say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, you know, getting these everyday examples, that's, you know, that's fun and maybe useful. 
but uh, you know, I have this whole material I have to get through, standard deviation, I have a formula, all of that stuff. I don't have time to use these concrete examples, and to which I, I would say, oh no, the best way to teach these statistical principles is by the concrete everyday life examples. So, um, so that's true for statistics, for probability, it's true for uh, even logic. Uh, oddly, social science students who get much better at probabilistic thinking and statistical thinking over the course of college don't tend to get much better at logic, whereas students in literature and the physical sciences do get better at logic. I have no explanation for that. It just is. It's, it's very interesting. There could be all kinds of things being tied into that. But one thing I think it does do is help kind of paint the picture that like having some kind of well-rounded sort of general education is is important for sure. And another thing that 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 maybe this is just a theme that like has popped up several times in my life uh just in my own thought processes is this idea that just as like terrible things can happen really quickly, you know, you can fall and like break your arm or you can, you know, you can have a terrible accident happen just so fast. I feel like people see like growth like human growth and stuff as this big hard huge mountain to climb and while it is difficult i think that um that just as bad things can happen quickly i think that good things can happen like really powerful impactful good things can happen just as quickly and what i mean in that is that i mean just from like you've said 15 minutes of of instruction in this one area i mean it it could it has the potential to improve somebody's life drastically for for years, for for months, years, for however long um, down the line. And so I think that's like an important thing to make. And it also goes back to that uh, unconscious mind aspect of how it doesn't take much to at least get the ball rolling, right? Right. So, um, yeah. Well, my favorite example of, of your 15-minute point uh, is the concept of sunk costs. It's I mean, we spend so much of our time and energy doing stuff that we don't enjoy or that's not going to really be very productive because we've got to justify all the time or money that's been put into it before. And if you just spend, like there's a single anecdote that I think you can tell people that will change their lives. Here it is. You've got, a month ago, you bought tickets to a professional basketball game. Now, tonight is the night of the game. Uh, the game's 45 minutes away. It's started to snow, and the the star is not going to be playing. Should you go to the game? And most people say, well, you know, it'd be a shame to waste that money. And then it's honk, wrong. The <laughs> money is wasted. Yeah. You can now waste some of your life by going to the game. Or if it's a, a, you know, a bad movie, I mean, I'm going to sit in it because I paid for it. I'm not going to waste it. Get, no, no, no. You're paying for it. And economists would say you're paying for it twice. Once yeah. for the ticket and once for the tedium. I mean. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. I love that line from the book. Right. So, but I, the people, and you change people's lives. You, you, I, I, you know, just just what I just did now. You can be, become an evangelist for the sunk cost <laughs> effect by just giving that anecdote. Ladies and gents, that is all the time we have for today. But if you have enjoyed listening, be sure to follow Bedletter on your preferred platform. And be sure to tune in for the next episode where Richard and myself will continue our conversation, diving further into some other interesting topics discussed in his book. 
Remember that you can add your name to the monthly newsletter list, join our community Discord server, and more over on my website, cashleman.com. And if you're interested in supporting the show in an additional way, I also have a Patreon page with some cool donation benefits. If anything from today's episode sparked a thought, feel free to share that either in the Discord, in the comments section on my blog, or over on my Instagram page, at cashleman. Again, that's at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me for today's episode. I really hope you have an awesome week, and I will see you next time on Bed Letter. 